Welcome to the Madison Church Online. My name is Stephen. I'm glad that you guys are here joining us today. Uh, I have a question. I've asked it. I ask it pretty frequently. So if you're new here, it's new to you. But if you've been around Madison Church, you know that I, I like to ask this question. And we usually get pretty fun answers. And so I keep going back to it. But what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid and you're just thinking about it and dreaming, what did you want to be when you grew up? We've heard things like Olympic swimmer, uh, Olympic gymnast, all sorts of things with the Olympics, very popular choice. I didn't always want to be a pastor or lead a church or even start a church. When I was a kid, I wanted to just play football. And specifically, I wanted to play football for the Green Bay Packers. Now, you probably did not have a Packers-themed bedroom growing up like I did, but I bet you can remember vividly what you wanted to be when you were a kid. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, Here's my next question. Did any of you guys grow up and do it? In my mind, I can think of some people, and, and I think they probably did, and they probably did, but I'm curious who said, I wanted to be this when I grew up, and who did? Let us know in the chat or in the comments. Um, most kids want to be whatever they want to be when they grow up because they want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. Um, I, I believe that's why kids want to grow up to be things like police officers and firefighters or why they want to be teachers or doctors. And yeah, we have some people who want to be basketball players and athletes and and sometimes knights or princesses. But most kids want to grow up to to do something that matters, to change the world. But sometimes, as we know, those dreams don't come to be. They just don't happen. Uh, college doesn't go as well as high school did for you. Your dream job was actually a nightmare. And this relationship that you're in is kind of going the way that the last relationship went that didn't end well at all. Now, I've been told that a lot of people, when they get to be toward the end of their lives, they've lived a long life. When they get to the end of their life, they ask a question that's very similar to the one that I just asked you. What do you want to be when you grow up? But at the end of our lives, we ask the question, did did anything I do matter? Did anything I do matter? It's basically the same question as, what do you want to be when you grow up? You see, we want to make a difference when we're young. And when we get to the end of our lives, if we get to the end of our lives, we want to check back on that. Did we do that? Did we make a difference? Both questions, what do you want to be when you grow up and did I do something that mattered, are all about doing something, doing something that matters that makes being someone matter. These questions are about doing something that matters so that I am someone who matters. Now, I believe this is an earnest desire inside of my heart, inside of your heart, um, that comes from God, that we want to do something significant. That's not bad at all. I think God put that in you. But it does get damaged. It does get perverted and it does get twisted up when we think that by doing something that matters, I will become someone who matters. You see, it's completely possible that you are someone who matters without doing something that matters. The opposite is true too. It's completely possible, contrary to popular belief, that you do something that matters, but you don't become someone who matters. 
What's most dangerous of all is when we go into this mindset that my self-worth is tied to what I do or what kind of work I do and put out there, what begins to happen when we don't execute the way that we think we should, we ask ourselves the question, do I matter? Do I matter? We say, we begin to think that I don't, I don't matter. Over the past few weeks, we've had some very honest and hard conversations about issues of mental illness in a series that we've called Mind Matters. And my hope in doing this series was that we could break some of the silence, that we could destroy some of the stigma that comes around talking about mental illness. And we've talked about anxiety. We've talked about depression. Last week, we talked about suicidal ideation. These are deep topics that we have covered. We've interviewed mental health professionals locally in the area about the topic so we can give you professional medical advice on how to deal with these issues should you have them. And if you're curious about those interviews, they are on our YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash Madison Church. I encourage you to go back and look at those if you missed a week because they're very helpful talks. Now, as we conclude our series this weekend, I just want to talk to you about how God can use whatever it is that we've gone through in a purposeful way. And oftentimes how God uses what we've gone through is to help other people who are going through something. And so I want you to remember this today, that God can take even your most difficult and heartbreaking experiences and use those for his purposes. If that's the only thing you hear from our time today, I'm glad that you heard it. God can take even your most difficult and heartbreaking experiences and use them for his purposes. Now, perhaps you're thinking right now, you're pushing back against what I've just said, and you're saying, Stephen, I'm, I'm having the worst anxiety of my life, or Stephen, I'm just so depressed, or I'm, I'm having suicidal thoughts. Stephen, how can I possibly help someone else when I can't even help myself? There is an answer to that question that predates whatever sort of mental illness that you're dealing with today. There's an answer that actually predates your very existence. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is a Bible verse that I absolutely love. We've talked about it in other messages. We've done entire series on this passage, but it's so true and it's so relevant to all of us and it's relevant in this Mind Matters series. First, when we're talking about this verse, we're talking about how Paul says that you and I are God's masterpiece. In the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, the uh, word for masterpiece here is poema, poema. And it is this artistic term. It, it has this connotation that something was made in diligence and on purpose. Um, some of you guys know that uh, we reopened our in-person services on our Jennifer Street location, which is downtown on the Isthmus here in Madison. And before we opened, uh, Judd, one of our trustees, and I, we drove to Milwaukee to go to Ikea. We were told that we had to go to Ikea because they had some really great stuff that we could use for our stage. And uh, it went as well as anybody who knows me and Judd. Uh, could imagine how that went. We go into the store that we've never been in and Ikea is huge. And 
we didn't know how to shop at Ikea. It was like you're walking into one living room after another living room after another living room. And, and we kind of looked around and we said, so if we just, we want the couch, do we just, do we just take it? We just put it in the cart or we take a number or what? And, and, but we didn't want to ask for help because, you know, we were both being stupid. And so we're going through the store and we're looking at all these things and we eventually we're Googling it as we go on and uh, we figure out that what we can do is we can take pictures of the tags. And then once you get through all of the showroom, which is like the rooms that are set up, you get to the end and it's like this just big giant warehouse. And then you can look up your numbers and you can find anything. And so Judd was buying a, a bookshelf that night and he found the number and there's a hundred bookshelves that are the same bookshelf that we saw on the floor in the other room that he could take. And so he takes one of the bookshelves. And the things that I bought, I bought a bunch of plants for our uh, stage and they look just like all of the other plants. Now what Paul is saying here, and the reason I bring up Ikea and going to Ikea is because in the midst of living on a planet with 7 billion humans, we can begin to feel like furniture from Ikea. We see people around us all the time, and we've experienced failures. We didn't get to be what we wanted to be when we grew up. We look at our lives, either in the middle of it or at the end, and we say, am I really making a difference? And we can begin to feel like we don't matter. We're just another pre-made fern that Stephen buys. We're just another pre-made bookshelf that Judd buys. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the God of the Bible has created you like a Vincent van Gogh painting, like his Starry Night. You are one of a kind. Are there lots of paintings? Yes, there are, but there's only one of those. You're like Machu Picchu. Are there lots of buildings? Are there other little abandoned artifact type of towns in the world? Absolutely there are, but there's only one Machu Picchu. You're like the Great Pyramid of Giza. We don't even know how they built that thing. And Paul is saying that is just how you are. God made you creatively, intentionally, individually. He made you. Yes, there are 7 billion plus people on the planet right now, but you are one of a kind and there's no one else like you. You are a masterpiece. But there's one other thing that sets you apart. It sets you apart from paintings and from buildings and abandoned temples. And that's that you were created for a purpose. Paul goes on to say that not only are you a masterpiece, but we were created anew in Christ so that we can do good things. Why were you created? Why are you an individual masterpiece? Well, it's not so you can sit on a wall and be adored by your friends and family. My wife certainly wouldn't go for that. My kids think that they are that. They think that we all exist for them, but that's not it at all. Paul tells us that the God who created you individually and creatively has something he wants you to do. But it's at this point that I need to separate a couple terms for you. The first one is calling. And calling has to do with who we are. We are called. In our Western society, we think of the word calling and we think of what are you passionate about? What are you talented at? What do you want to be when you grow up? See, because to us, calling is connected with what we do because what we do is connected to who we are. But biblical calling, what we're talking about here from Old Testament to New Testament has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with the God we serve and that God who is calling you to be part of his family. See, you were created as a masterpiece 
God has called you into relationship with him. You may not believe in God, but God believes in you. We are called. But the second thing is that we do have an assignment, and that is something that God wants us to do, a task, a mission, our purpose, something to accomplish that God wants to accomplish in the world through you and through other people in this particular time and space. We're not living in the 16th century. We're not living before the times of Jesus and the Roman Empire, but we're living now. And that's because God has a plan and a purpose for this particular time and space. We all mix this up. We all think that our calling is tied to what we do. But it's very important to remember that it's not. That no matter what we do, that we are still called. That my identity is still secured as a masterpiece in God's family. Right now, my assignment in this time and in this place and what it's been the last seven years is to lead and serve Madison Church. Now, I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. I love it here. I love the community that we have, and I love the city, and I love being here. But should it change? Should someday that change, my identity remains the same. I am still called. Even if I'm not the pastor of Madison Church, I am still a child of God. And the same can be true of you. What you're doing this decade may not be what you're doing next decade, or it might not be the decade or what you did the last decade, but you are still a child of God. He loves you. And whether or not you're successful by the world's standards or even your own standards, you're someone significant, not because of what you have done, but because of what God has done. We are someone significant because our significant God sees us. And believes in us. Our assignment or our particular purpose may change due to our circumstances. But remember that God can use the most difficult and heartbreaking experiences of our lives for his purposes. And the truth is that God may even give you a new assignment out of the trauma, out of the crisis, as heartbreaking and as hard as that might be. Because you're still a masterpiece created in Jesus to do good works. God can use the most difficult things that you've gone through anyway. In another letter, Paul writes, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles. You just got to love that, especially in the season of coming maybe near the end of a pandemic and all of the things that have just made life really tough in the past 12 months. To read that God is the Father of compassion and He is the God of all comfort and He comforts us in all of our troubles and and we just want to go home now or we just want to cuddle up and just think about how like God is comforting us um, every day. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says that there's a reason that God comforts us in the next verse. It says God comforts us so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See, part of the purpose of why you and I experience comfort as children of God is so that we can share that comfort with other people. We're not just supposed to receive the comfort and hold on to it tightly. We're supposed to open ourselves up and to spread that comfort to those around us who are suffering. We do not just hold on to it. We don't just go through what we've gone through 
just to get through it, but so that God can use it for his purposes to help someone else. Let God use whatever you have gone through and the comfort that you are receiving now to comfort and help those around you. Well, guys, I, this sounds easy in principle, and it's easy to say. And maybe there's one or two of you listening or watching who, who knows the reality of what I'm saying. But for those of us who think like, yes, I want to do this. I want to use the comfort and, and spread it around. And I want to use my experiences to help other people. This actually is tough because it means that we are going to share our lives with other people. We're going to do life together. And what that means is that we're going to be with other people when they're struggling. And we might get discouraged walking through their discouragement with them. We may not feel encouraged in the moment that we are helping somebody through their discouragement. We might ourselves feel hopeless helping somebody who's going through a hopeless situation. We may not walk away from that thinking, well, man, now I feel God's comfort. I feel so hopeful in that. It is tough to do that. But it does mean also sharing what we've gone through to help people. And if we do that, there's a reward in that, that we can help someone else deal with the things that they're going through. That anxiety that you had that got so bad one night that you thought you were having a heart attack, that can help somebody else who's struggling with anxiety right now. Perhaps there's no one in your life who did this for you. And that's why you got to the point. But you can disrupt that pattern of people not helping people with anxiety by helping people with anxiety based on your experience. You might have had depression that was just so bad that you didn't leave your house for weeks or maybe even months. Your postpartum depression could have been so bad, um, but you wanted to hide it because you were ashamed of it. But if you could own it, that you could possibly help someone else who's going through the same exact things and you could disrupt the pattern of not helping people with depression because you faced yours. God gave you comfort. You have a calling. You have a purpose. And now you can help someone else. Perhaps you've had suicidal ideology. Perhaps you're a survivor of suicide. Perhaps you love someone who died by suicide. You can use all of that experience to help someone else who is thinking about it, thinking about trying it, has survived it or is going through it. We can disrupt the pattern of people going through mind matters all by themselves because the truth is you have a purpose and God can use your pain and your suffering for his purpose. He takes those most difficult and heartbreaking moments of our lives and he can use them to help other people. Now, every week in the series, we've, we've taken some sort of lie like, I don't want to go on, or I can't go on, or I don't like myself, or I don't belong, and we've replaced them with truths. And so this lie today that I don't matter, we want to confront that and tell you that the truth is that you have a purpose. You absolutely do matter. You are a masterpiece, and God has an assignment for you every single part of your life, including the hardest parts or something that God can use to comfort and encourage other people to make not just an eternal impact, but a current impact on their lives. And this is a 
particularly and definitely true for people who have mental illness and struggled with it. As we conclude this series, I want you to do something with me. I want you to think for a moment about those difficult times in your life in the past. Perhaps it was a season of darkness, depression. It was a series of hardships or losses. It was ongoing struggle with anxiety or some sort of mental illness. Perhaps you don't have to think very far back at all. Perhaps it was last year. Perhaps it's right now. But as you're thinking about the difficulties and the troubles that you're facing right now, imagine that you're holding it in your hands. And I want you to clench those fists really tight. And what begins to happen when we hold on to our anxiety, our depression, all of our mind matters like this, is that we get tired. It begins to hurt a little bit. And the answer for us is to simply open up our hands to let those things go and to give them to God, to give them as an offering to God. Would you do that? Would you take a step in that direction? Whether your issue is anxiety or depression, a combination of the both, more one than the other, suicidal thoughts, whatever it might be, would you give those to God? I'm not trying to suggest that all you have to do is open up your hands and poof, all of that stuff will go away and all your struggles will be no more. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, are you willing and will you right now open yourselves up, open up and say, God, here are the issues. Here are the troubles. Here are the struggles. And I give those to you, God, comfort me and help me to push that comfort out to other people so that I can disrupt this. Because just because you went through it alone, just because nobody warned you, doesn't mean that that's the pattern we have to continue to perpetuate. You and I can break that cycle. We can let other people know that God can use their most painful, heartbreaking, their most difficult experiences for his purpose as well. And as you hold your hardships up to God right now, let me pray this benediction over us. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of his spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love, his power. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.